Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Back Room. I'm Andy Ostroy. I'm very excited for today's conversation with May Pang. We're going to get to her in just a moment. But first, thank you for tuning in today. We appreciate you listening, and we'd love to hear your comments. So email us at backroomandy at gmail.com and or post on our social media, and we'll read some feedback next time. And if you like the podcast, please follow or subscribe, and you'll be notified every time we post a new episode. May Pang. She is the subject of the just-released documentary, The Lost Weekend, A Love Story, in which she recounts her legendary 18-month romantic relationship in 1973 and 74 with John Lennon, which began at 22 when she was John and Yoko's personal assistant. It was an affair orchestrated by Yoko herself. She's also a photographer, author, and jewelry designer. Her intimate portraits of John during their time together include rare images of the former Beatle and music legend and his son Julian, In addition to working for Apple Records and John and Yoko, she worked in music publishing at United Artists, Famous Music, and Island Records. May, welcome into the back room. Well, thank you for having me. I just want to say I watched your documentary this week, The Lost Weekend, A Love Story, and I was blown away. It's terrific. It is absolutely terrific. And the biggest takeaway for me is that you are a very nice person. Oh, Oh, thank you. And I, mean, I and I say that because it's easy when you watch a documentary that might be narrated by the subject or is directed by the subject. Obviously, there's the slant that you might that one might get. But the, there's a couple of reasons why I say what I say that that come through so clearly in a film. One is that as this young woman amid this chaotic thing you were in for eighteen months, you became close with John's first wife, Cynthia, and maintain a relationship over the years. That kind of stuff doesn't happen very often, especially when the circumstances are as uh, like the, the ones you were involved in. And then even more importantly, the fact that you were the one, the catalyst to help bring John and his son with Cynthia, Julian, back together. And Julian's in the film. We see the way he is with you and you are with him and how you talk to each other and the, the obvious love for each other. And so that really jumped out at me that someone who was as young as you were at the time, who I consider to be the adult in the room during that time. Huh. You know, I've, to- I've heard that from several people that, and yet I was the youngest in the group. Yes, I'm the oldest in the group. Yeah, well, it's important to point out that John was, I think, 10 years older than you. And yes. Yoko was seven years older than John. Yeah, we are. Me and her are seventeen, right? Seventeen and a half years. Right. So when you were being told to have an affair with John, that was coming from a woman who was thirty-nine or forty years old, and you were twenty-two, and then involved a man who was thirty-two. So. You really were young, and the way you handled that situation, it's very impressive. So my first question to you is, it's been 50 years. Why now? Why does May Pang's story come out now? Well, you know, it, it, first off, um, this this movie started more than six years ago. So this is not just something that happened like within the last year. Right. The other thing was, um, I think, you know, I let it go for many, many years. I've written about it. People didn't really believe me, as it were. You know, they, they couldn't believe that such a thing could happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I left it. 
But when people start coming back at you and say, I know everything about you. Mm-hmm. And I said, that isn't the way it happened. They said, oh, no, no, I read everything. And, and it's true. So it's that now we're in, the, we're in those times where the, the more lies you, you hear, they seem to be the truth. And I'm like, that's not the way it goes. So I thought, you know what? It's time that I have to straighten out the truth, really. And we're at an age where it's more, I think it was more acceptable, where it is also more visual. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't always read. They didn't find some people now saying, I've been looking for your book forever and they can't seem to find it. Right. But it is so easy now to do the visual and let it go out and, and let people see it the way, you know, it, it happened as opposed to reading it. And now they're trying to find the book and they can't find the book. Yeah. I actually looked for it myself and you, I think you could find a copy, but it's like 300 bucks. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of money. It must be out of all out of print. Right. right. They're all out. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting to anyone who's a Beatles fan, and I'm a huge Beatles fan. In fact, my late wife and I, when we were married, our wedding song was Oh My Love, uh, Ah. John and Yoko's song. And when I made my documentary about Adrian, I was able to use that song in the film, thanks to Yoko. And so when you grow up a huge Beatles fan, you hear about the lost weekend all the time. It's just something that's legendary. And you know that it's not a weekend, that it was a much longer period. But I think what a good documentary does, and this is what I tried to do with my film, is that it takes a subject and or a person that you've known on some level your whole life, but it just completely opens the door into that person's world, into that person's life, into that person's thinking. And so May Pang, as a person, is someone I've been familiar with my whole life, but I had no idea who you were. I had no idea, to your point, I had no idea what this story really was. And it is a, a fascinating look into this young 22-year-old woman who is thrust into this madness of two huge, powerful, controlling, domineering, and, and how you got through that and were able to move on with your life. It's uh, it was a, it's a fascinating window in into that period and so i thank you on behalf of a lot of beatles fans of t- finally having that story be put up into the public because it is such an important you know to just say lost weekend without really understanding what it means from your perspective john's perspective yoko's perspective it was um you know john said you know i'm going to be using that phrase and i know they're thinking it's going to be about us and it wasn't about us, but it was about the time because of his people kept bringing up his um, his antics, you know, when they were out with Harry Nielsen, he was drunk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I and I say to people, look, it, I said, who's going to make the better copy when they go out? Harry Nielsen, John Lennon. I guess John Lennon's going to win out mm-hmm. on that front page mm-hmm. every time. So. You know, and each time. But if you read the stories about the times that he was drunk, it's only a couple of times. Mm-hmm. But they, but the press have made it over and over. Look at it, the troubadour. He's been thrown out. And they keep mixing certain other things in there. So it looks like, so for the 18 months, he's been absolutely, you know, just just out of his mind. But if he was out of his mind and anybody he couldn't make the the records. He couldn't have done the stuff that he was doing um, creatively. 
Hmm. If he was drunk, that wasn't his style. We never, the, the, the times that we've spent in LA, it's always been crazy. People thought we lived in LA. We never lived in LA. We couch surf or house surf, mm -hmm. um, you know, we stayed in people's homes or, uh, or, or things like that. And then we only lived in four places. Our lawyers, um, uh, Lou Adler, who graciously loaned us his place in Bel Air. Uh, we stayed in uh, the Beverly Wilshire Hotel and the famous ho uh, house that, that we rented for, for Harry Nielsen's album, Pussycat. And that's where it was once uh, built by Louis B. Mayer, but owned at uh, uh, one time by Peter Lawford. Mm -hmm. And we showed up there. Yeah, we know, we know uh, what craziness took place in that house. Oh, you can imagine much more than mm -hmm. than uh, than the ones I had. I mean, you know, and we had that in Santa Monica. And you think about who was in the house. And again, the house mother, me, again was minding the house. And we had Klaus Warman. Uh, we had on what was it? We had uh, Keith Moon. Mm -hmm. We had Ringo. We had Harry. Um, we had uh, also. Um, Ringo's business manager was still staying there. And then during the day, we had all the other musicians. Mm -hmm. Alice Cooper. So just, mm -hmm. Oh, no, Al didn't come. Uh, but we are talking about, um, I'll tell you who else was there. We had Jim Keltner, uh -huh. Jesse Davis, and we had anybody who decided they wanted to pop in. But I don't remember Al being there. Mm -hmm. Though he was at one of the re, um, the jam sessions that mm -hmm. we did. But wasn't he part of that, the, the Hollywood vampires? Wasn't he the... Uh, the the Hollywood vampire thing happened because there was a group that kept getting together. We didn't have a name yet. It wasn't called the Hollywood Vampires yet. Mm -hmm. But we kept meeting up with Alice and and you know and and everybody else that was that was in the group. You know, everybody would just get together. Mickey Dolenz, mm -hmm. um, and then next thing you know, but John was more of a, um, oh okay, whatever happened, you know, he'd come in and and leave. But Harry Nielsen was. Our, our, um, was the ringleader. I right. would always say he was the ringleader, mm -hmm. no matter what. And, you know, I had to explain about the, people don't even realize I was at the Troubadour when all of this happened as well. So, um, and you yeah. were straight during this period. You didn't do drugs, you weren't drinking. And what was it like being the, the, well, the straight the one in the bunch? Yeah, I know. It, I've been called, I was called Miss Goody Two Shoes <laughs> by a, a lot of females that were out there. Uh, they thought that I was too straight. I mean, I would have, I think if you counted maybe 20 drinks in the whole time, that was all I had. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about lightweight, like a, maybe a mimosa mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, I'm, I wasn't a, a great, but if you see bottles of Coca-Cola, now that's the drink. <laughs> that's what I had in my hand. So you mentioned the word mother before, and I want to ask you about this, because this is something that I kind of took away from the film uh, as well, in that... So much has been said over the years about John and Yoko's relationship. I mean, it, he called her mother. One can surmise that on some level, their relationship, maybe not so much at the very beginning, but eventually took on more of a business one where she controlled a lot of the, the business affairs. And that when he went with you, we saw a side of him that was more just relaxed, loose, having fun just being a young guy. And you're reminded in the movie that when this was going down, he was, what, 30? That's a young man, a young man who should be having fun and enjoying his life and appreciating 
the spoils. Of he didn't work. have that. Remember that he didn't have it because as the Beatles, they were locked up in rooms and right. they were uh, escorted to every place. And just going back, Yoko didn't do the business till after um, John went back to the Dakota. Mm-hmm. She didn't handle the business beforehand. It was always handled after they broke right. by, by other people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and John always had somebody to handle, and as I'm sure with all the other guys as well, you know, the other three members, they always had business people handling it. Uh, I think with John and myself, we, you know, I handled, I, I took care of most of it because, you know, he signed it. He signed the credit cards. He did have a credit card. Um, I'm just, you know, I understood because how many actors and actresses, entertainers, you know, they, they're not aware of it either. So I didn't fault him, but I started, but he started to learn a lot of it because it was just me and him, mm-hmm. you know, go out in the, um, taking care of different things. I, I did all the work for the production for the, for the, um, you know, the recordings. Mm-hmm. So I would tell him what was going on. Mm-hmm. He was aware. He didn't need to know the, the nitty gritty. He didn't, you know, that was fine. It didn't bother me. But he, he knew his lawyer wanted him always to know what was out there. Mm-hmm. So Harold always made sure, sat him down and said, here it is. Let me tell you what it, what it, and he would just lay out the facts for him. Mm-hmm. He may not have liked it, but you know, and uh, when certain numbers came up or anything, he would say, hey, that's the way it is. If you don't like it, then we got to make a change. But there seemed to be a lot, a lot of joy in the relationship between you two that may or may not have been evident when he was with Yoko. Like he was experiencing something that he needed to experience. That's what I took yeah. away from the film, that that period was just him going on a journey that he may not have been able to have before that which makes it's it in true. a w- way kind of really necessary. But the way it came about is just so bizarre. I know. It's, um, you know, John and I really uh, had a good time. Because it's only two of us, we didn't have an entourage. Mm-hmm. I didn't have an assistant. There wasn't, it wasn't necessary. And he liked the fact that it was just the two of us. So when we got in the car, I did the driving. Mm-hmm. When, we, when, we would, you know, when we got to dinner... I may make the reservation, but whatever it is, we got there and it's just two of us. There wasn't a whole bunch of people that followed us. Um, and, and, you know, in New York City, people didn't realize we actually lived in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember one day he said, what should we do today? And this was a Saturday. And I said, well, you always said you wanted to see what New York was about, the city. So I took him on a bus ride. And I'm talking about a city bus. Got on the. He goes a city bus. I said yes. Let's get on the city bus. Did people no- was, notice him and you? Well, there wasn't that many at the beginning, mm-hmm. and then as people started to file on, they they sort of looked at him and they go, "Is that? Yeah, you could hear this. The younger, is that John Lennon? I'm sure that's John Lennon." And John could hear it. He turns to me and he goes, "The nose." It's the nose. That's how it comes about. And then finally, someone just yelled out, hey, John, how are you doing? He goes, fine. And he yelled out, see, I told you it was him. And John looked at me calmly and he said, time to get off. Mm. 
But in oh, in, cool. in large part, he really enjoyed that part of New York City living. That's why he moved there, right? He he wanted yes. to be able to walk the streets and just be a regular Joe and mix it up. And you know, the, the thing that I I loved about the film is that the archival that you that is in that movie, the photographs, your photographs are incredible. The the film Thank clips, you. the rare clips that we're finally seeing that have never I've been out. I've seen there. some of them. Believe me, I they found. They, 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 you know, the directors found mm-hmm. some clips I had never even known that was out there. So mm-hmm. it was quite a surprise to me, too. And there's so many things in the film that are sort of unanswered in a way. Like when he goes back to Yoko and he says to you, she's allowed me to come home. And I think you said, allow? Like, just that framing, I think, speaks volumes <clears throat> about so many things that raise a million questions. What did that mean to you at the time? Um, yeah, I know. There, there's a lot more to it. it. It's a very complicated answer. And um, and I think, you know, without giving it away, because, you know, I, I say other things in there. Um, the relationship, and I, I guess I could say, it never ended. Mm-hmm. So that's where it comes down to. So there's a, there's a lot of little things. And, um, you know, I guess uh, we all know how everything ended for everyone. Um, but John and I, there, there was still unfinished stuff that I, that's still out there. Give us a couple of glimpses into when you were with him for that period of time, which was very intimate. Give us a couple of examples of like the amazing things of John Lennon and the not so amazing things of John Lennon. <laughs> well, the amazing things about John was that he was such a cat person. He loved Interesting. cats. Oh, uh, we brought home, we were recording, and, and I said to him, oh, somebody brought in a box of kittens, you know, that they're giving away. And he looked at me, and I had no idea, mind you, that he even had any inkling of any towards animals. So he was, and he looked at me, he says, you know, we can't have any. We travel too much. I said, that's fine. I said, I just wanted to you know, that's all. Somebody brought him kittens. So they, I guess he was, I guess we were in the mixing stage or something. I went downstairs and I picked up a kitten and I brought this little tiny little thing back up and I walked in and he turned and he looked at me and he goes, all right, you've done it now. It's your fault. You did it. And I'm like, what did I do? And um, he goes, now we have to have a kitten. And I went, what? <laughs> I had no idea. So he goes, come on, let's go downstairs. Let's pick one out. I said, uh, okay. So he went in and goes, all right, there were eight or nine. I forgot how many. And he picked out one and it was a black kitten with a little white. And I said, okay. So I'm carrying it upstairs. He couldn't help it, right? So then uh, I went back downstairs a couple of hours later. I said, yeah, all the kittens are gone except for one one white one because they all came from the same litter mm-hmm. and i said one white one nobody wants it because it's too loud and he said get it now all of a sudden we went from none to two in and i didn't realize what it was he oh he grew up with kittens and cats and and he loved it and when he brought them home all he wanted to do was play with them so that's the other side of john that i had never seen before he just loved he just loved the cats all over him he just loved them hanging all over them. So that's the other side. And then the, the, the side, and I got a rare glimpse, obviously, of the interaction between 
John and Paul mm-hmm. or John with, with George or with Ringo. So it, it was each was so different. And, um, and it was just, it, it was amazing to see. So when you were out in- And there was no animosity. There was no, none whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Well, when you were out in, in the Pacific Coast Highway House, uh, there's a moment where, where, John, where Paul comes over. Apparently he was sent by Yoko to kind of- Yes. Repair things. But they had an incredibly deep bond, right? And the, the movie implies that there was going to be maybe some kind of reconciliation. They would maybe write together. They were on that path, weren't they? That was when we got back to New York. Um, and, you know, John, John and I had this apartment on the east side uh, where, you know, we have a balcony, we saw, mm-hmm. you know, by the river. And this is where we saw the UFO and everything. Right. But anyway, so, so when Paul would come over, you know, uh, this is after they had, um, you know, uh, signed the contract to break up the Beatles and all that stuff. John turned to me and after, you know, Paul, Paul had come by, they were, Paul and Linda were always uh, big visitors coming to our home when they were in New York. Mm-hmm. So kept at, you know, he said, um, they were talking about the new album and he said, uh, that they were going to do out down in New Orleans, which of course peaked, um, John, cause he loves to go. He wanted to go to New Orleans and I said, Hmm, New Orleans. Interesting. So didn't think anything of it. They were leaving. So a couple of days later, as, as John is um, playing the guitar, he's going, he goes, May, I got to talk to you. And I'm saying, yeah, yeah, okay. You know, I'm doing some work. He goes, what do you think if I wrote with Paul again? And, and I always say, it was like my head turned like at the exorcist, you know, you swung the head around. What do you mm-hmm. mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, you know, what do you think? I said, listen, if you two were writing, you know, solo, you're good. But when the two of you got together as writers, mm. that's a different story. Mm. That really was far superior. Mm. You know, you were, no one could beat you at it. He goes, mm, okay. Yeah. And he really wanted to go and he thought about it. And um, just before things happen, which people will have to see, and, you know, John's saying, let's make those reservations. Let's go down. I want to go down to New Orleans. Mm. I do. And I told this to Paul. <clears throat> I actually told this to to Paul years and years later that John and I were planning on coming down to see him. And he had no idea because, you know, we were doing it at the spur of the moment. But um, Paul ended up finding out later, also after I told him, he saw a postcard that Derek Taylor had uh, from John that said, thinking of visiting the Max in New Orleans. So talk about unfinished business, you know. <clears throat> so I want to ask you the lost weekend in and of itself. The word lost is a pejorative, right? Weekend certainly doesn't appropriately describe the amount of time it was. Over the years, did that legendary coinage, did that just annoy the hell out of you? Did you ever think about like, first of all, nobody was lost. We had a great time. And second of all, it wasn't a freaking weekend. It was 18 months. Did that ever really yeah. bother you? Well, you know, in the beginning, you just sort of accepted it. I just said, okay, because I was still a little in shock of our relationship. And I let it go. But more and more as time went on, you know, you're right. You know, I got annoyed. They go, I've seen, you know, cool fans writing, 
oh, look, why, you know, why is she talking about this? She was only with him for a weekend. Right. They had no idea mm-hmm. of any of the things that was involved in. And, you know, I've seen it, people just having not a clue. So I let it go until it finally, you know, you get to that point and you say, I can't let it go anymore because I'm getting tired of somebody else taking credit for something that I knew that I was the one who was part of, not somebody mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. So that's when I said, okay, now now it's time for me to do it again. Yeah, and that's, you know? that's really the point of the film, which it does achieve so clearly and so in our final couple of minutes, I want to ask you, I remember where I was when I heard that John was murdered. And I can close my eyes and feel the visceral emotions that I felt at the time. It was just incredibly surreal, the thought that, like, these guys weren't going to live forever, right? I mean, how surreal it, was it? It was, you know, surreal because you're hearing, I heard it over the radio, and I'm thinking, this can't be happening. I happened to be on the West Side, not far from the Dakota when this was happening. And I'm like, oh my God, I, this, this can't be happening. You're right. Nobody, you know, we're thinking we're gonna, we're not all gonna be here on this earth forever, which, but the thing is you're not thinking at the age of 40 either, Mm -hmm. you know? So it really to be, and to have left this earth the way he did so violently and not, not on a a more peaceful way of going, Mm -hmm. You know, not of old age. You know, I have a drawing that John did to me where he, what he thought he looked like in his 60s. Right. You know, like when, he, when I'm 64, mm-hmm. you know, with a hot belly and, you know, he's, he's no clothes on, sitting there with the cigarettes and a cat on the raft. And, mm-hmm. you know, so these are like, that's how he pictured himself. Mm-hmm. So to to think of him not, you know, to go away in such a violent is... Is still mind-boggling to me. And the loss to the music business and the loss to America and the world, it's just, it's so profound. When uh, we first started talking before this was set up, I told you about my late wife who was murdered at the age of 40. And um, when I was watching- I'm so sorry, yeah. Thank you. When I was watching the end of the film, in the end credits, you say, John, we made some great music and memories. I just wish we had more time. Like that hit me in such a way because I've said that. I, I, know, I know those words. I know the feeling behind those words. Um, Thank you for reading the credits, too. Thank you. Yeah. And so I want to ask you, what do you carry around with you today? Are you still in love with John? Because love is a very difficult concept. You can love people forever, especially if they're yanked away from you at such an, a young age. So I'm curious, what do you carry inside your heart these days? I think, uh, you know, I think for the world who love John Lennon, and there's many of us, mm-hmm. he'll always be a part of everyone's heart. I just have a different piece somewhere that's a little closer to, you know, because I'm surrounded by, by him. I hear messages. I hear, when I, when I hear number nine dream, which is you know, he was the one that wanted my vocals on there mm-hmm. to whisper his name. So I'm always going to hear him mm-hmm. a little differently. And, you know, and I know I have just a little slightly closer part of him inside of me. Um, uh, it, it's just there, you know, and, and there's, um, there, there are no words. It's your, your first love, your first whatever, no matter who else goes. I don't want to ever have anybody ask it to be compared to 
to him mm -hmm. because that's such a different time period. Um, but it's hard. People like to compare themselves to jumps, you know, and I'm like, okay, next I got to go. I got to move on here, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, but on a whole, you know, he'll always have that, this, that part of me that it'll never go away, mm -hmm. you know. And over the years and, and today, what has your relationship with Yoko been? We really don't have one except, uh, you know, I know she's been ill, so I, I don't wish her any more illness, you know, worse. Um, but I don't have a, a relationship with her. But I did run into her uh, a few years back, um, maybe like 20 years out, you know, uh, it's been maybe now it's been about 15 but or something like that. But prior, it was like 20 years I hadn't seen her. And we saw each other in Iceland, of all places. Mm. Neutral. <laughs> Neutral territory. And it just happened that we happened to be in the same hotel. She was there for this John Lennon songwriting contest. I was doing a stopover uh, on my way to Liverpool. And so I was excited to be in Reykjavik until, and it was a, a, a thing, an event that Iceland Air put together. Who would have known that we would all be there together and we, Saw each other in the hotel, in the restaurant, and um, it was. It, it, believe me, all the press, everybody that was in the room, you could hear a pin drop mm. when they saw when we came face to face with each other. And I started laughing later on to think I said of all days to to meet up with her, it was actually on John's birthday. Mm. Well, I, I have so many questions, and I don't want to spoil anything, so <clears throat> we'll leave it at that. But I do want to say that it is, again, it's a truly fantastic film. I, I laughed. I cried. I liked you so much. I had so much respect for you. And I really got to know you. And I think that's what a really great documentary does. So I think people are going to really enjoy this film. And I appreciate that you've done it. You and the directors and the producers put this together because it's an important film. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, thanks for coming on. We'll see each other again. Yes, we will. Take care, May. Thank you. Take care. Bye. This episode of The Back Room was edited and produced by me, Andy Ostroy. It was co-edited and co-produced by Maddie Rosenberg and co-produced by Jen Hamoud. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Hollander and our logo was designed by Cricket Langell. And special thanks to Patricia Wind. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast and also follow or subscribe. Until next time, keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards, and have a great week.